Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. And we're live. Welcome again, everybody, to another Knife Talk episode. We're here to keep you company in the shop, answer your questions, uh, talk life, talk knives, all that kind of stuff. Um, and as always, I'm here with Jeff Fader of Fader Knives, and Craig Lockwood is back with us this week. All three of us are here, Lockwood of Chop Knives, as well as the 355s. How are things going, actually, with the 355s? Great. All good. We that's one of the reasons I'm in the UK at the moment. We've got a gig tomorrow in London, so all right. yeah, all good, all good. Are you excited? Very. Yeah, no, very. But I'm just very tired. Very. So we're, we're currently on a. Well, I suppose I'll start with this week. Um, currently in like a kids' holiday village, like a country park village thing, and one of those kind of places where the kid, where the adults just let their kids run fucking riot everywhere, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the kids have now gone up to bed. I'm down in the tiniest little makeshift studio that I could find. Um, but, yeah, excited tomorrow. We're, we're in London for a gig tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, all good. This is the first time we've all been together in a few weeks. Yeah, it is. Probably. I'd say the last two months has been pretty hectic. Yeah. Between well, between myself and Morocco, yeah. Jeff steady as a rock as ever. But um, yeah, I'm back next week, back in France um, for the foreseeable. So yeah, all good. That Bob so, Seger like Ford commercial song just came into my head. I think oh, that's yeah, Bob like Seger. a rock. Yeah, yeah like a rock. Mm. Like a rock. Mm. Right. Well, yeah. well c- congratulations, nice. YouTube, because I think last week's episode is apparently the best ever. Um, so, so congratulations. Based on what? what I don't know. Work? You're just making it up. Okay. Yeah. No, I've, well, somebody <laughs> reposted on Knife Talk, somebody saying that it was the, the best or the best in a long time, at least, anyway. Oh. Well, right. it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if we did whatever, t- sometimes you got to do whatever it takes to, hmm. you know, whatever. So, it's, well, if it ain't, without the three of us, it's to me, it's not as good, but the last two episodes have been funny and good. The hmm. la- there's a lot of response to Craig's uh, departure midway through <laughs> two episodes ago. <laughs> I and forgot then, about that. Yeah, and then there's some there's some bounce around because there was we have to t- there's listener feedback in regards to that. But if without you, the two three of us, to me, it's just like we're just treading water. Okay. There's there's some blowback about that, shall we say? <laughs> there's a lot really? of uh, you know poop knife talk and all that stuff. Oh my so god! Okay, Marekko, okay, so how was your week? Uh, the week's all right. Actually, I might have sabotaged myself this week on this build that I'm working on. I'm just like, it's for somebody uh, who's a friend, but is kind of like a. a I don't know, kind of like a celebrity type. And I'm trying to make sure it's great, but I'm also trying to get it done ASAP. And I might have fucked it up. <laughs> so, oh boy. so I'm going to see, uh, I guess, t- yeah, probably tomorrow. 
I'm going to see if it's salvageable, but if not, it's out the window because it's not going to work for this build. And Fucked up in what way? What's happened? Oh, I was uh, hollow grinding and, um, and it's a Bob Loveless style knife. And um, what was that? It was doing like an eight inch hollow on my broad back actually. And, um, and it was all going great, but I don't hollow grind very often. Um, but like I said, things were going super smooth and I was just about done when I realized that I had ground the bevel to like fucking zero, like nothing. And because it's a hollow grind, it was like 200 thousandths of an inch, um, like an eighth or three sixteenths of an inch into the blade edge. And so I was like, fuck. And, uh, and I ended up, I just like kind of poked a little bit with my fingernail and the steel started to tear. It was so thin and flimsy. It was basically like a foil. Um, yeah. So I kind of popped out a little chip, um, just to kind of get an idea. Usually when things are too thin, I'm like, all right, well let's damage it and then push it back to the bottom of that damage. So I'm going to try taking off just a little bit over an eighth of an inch and seeing if that's going to work. And if it doesn't, then then I got to do something else for this guy and I'll, fi- I got to finish this knife out though and, and sell it. Um, but it's just a bummer because, um, if I feel like everything I've done for this, I've, he has other work of mine and, um, and every time I've, there's like a little bit of a flaw or something that like, it just goes slightly sideways or wrong with it. And, uh, a couple of builds I had to like scratch and one, I think when I, he treated the, um, the integral chef's knife it, it, it had 1095 in the mix and so it didn't full properly like harden back by the bolster which honestly wasn't really much of an issue because that doesn't affect the performance of the knife but when it comes to etching the blade i was using I, I was doing ferric still uh on that one for whatever reason i was having a hard time with the coffee at the time so i went ferric and it's very like obvious when you do uh ferric with kind of essentially differentially hardened steels um and even in damascus you can see kind of like this hormone effect and and he was like what's up with that and i'm like oh just like trying to explain it and i was like fuck i wish i could get the coffee because the coffee like again it's not it's it doesn't take away from the thing right but aesthetically it doesn't look right it looks unintentional versus an intentional process thing that you've done and so the coffee helps to kind of not necessarily mask or hide it it's just like it etches everything really nice and dark whether it's soft or it's if it's hard and um and so you have less of that visual difference um almost none of it and so anyways just struggling with building shit for this guy and it sucks and part of me is like fuck maybe i should stop trying to build things for this guy um i do have some notes on for myself for the next time around if i do have to rebuild it or do a knife like this in the future which i i think i will um just about how like the kind of the order of operations of the hollow grind i think that's what my problem was is i just kind of dove into it without any with very little to no experience and so i didn't really have the proper uh order of operations lined up and that's where i ended up uh it ended up biting me in the ass when i was basically mm-hmm. almost done yeah but the what good I thing is, is you're learning from it and it won't happen again <clears throat> right that's the key that's the key it's not all uh high fives and uh lightning <laughs> yeah. bolts and high fives there yeah. remember it's not <laughs> it sure ain't 
That's a callback from a long time ago. I, you know what? I, I hate to say this, but I interrupted you, Craig, about your week. Oh, no, I'm done. That's oh, my you, week. All right, never mind. Never, yeah. I'll take it back. Nothing <laughs> exciting going on here, believe me. Believe me. <laughs> so everything else, Mareko, has been good? or? Yeah, no, everything else is going good. I got, we'll see, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be down in Arizona at the Travis Wirtz Hammer Inn doing some demonstrations down there. I'll be doing some blade forging as well as some, I think, some blade grinding uh, or handle sculpting. It's still kind of up in the air right now. And then right after that, if anybody who's down in the Southwest, so like, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, California, all that, you know, Utah, whatever's down there. Um, I'm going to be teaching at the Desert Metalcraft School. It's uh, it's owned and operated by Rich Greenwood, great guy, uh, for, uh, former Forge and Fire uh, competitor, and um, not the, I don't know, anyways, so... Anyways, I'm going to be down there teaching fundamentals of material movement so uh, to help people really understand um, what different forging operations not only are doing to the steel and what it looks like on the outside, like you see if you're just forging mono steel, but what's happening to the lines and the activity of the pattern on the inside of the material, how to anticipate that, how to and plan for that so that you can then better plan um, your own Damascus patterns as well as reversing, helping to reverse, understand and reverse engineer other people's approaches to kind of adapt it to your own style. And uh, it's a two-day class. It's going to be a lot of fun and there's going to be a lot of information shared in there. And I, I think people are going to really dig it. I really like it a lot. Are you going to be a Blade Show? I will be a Blade Show. Are you going to be a Blade Show? I'm fucking toying <gasps> with it. Oh, I might. I, if I do it though, I'm gonna go down. Like I'm gonna go down in the morning and leave at night. Wow. Okay. I, I, I'm thinking about it. That I'm not really thinking about going down. I did this once before down to Florida when my uncle died. I, I took a flight at six o'clock in the morning, went to the funeral, and went right back. I'm tempted to fucking go. Up to, I might. I may go to Blade Show, but I'm not gonna talk about it anymore because I. I just don't know. <laughs> I gotcha. When when is it? I, that's what I. What is it? Is it in June? Yeah, it's June. It's the first full like Friday, Saturday, Sunday in oh, June. I don't know, man. I'm um, gonna be close to. I'm, that's the problem. I'm gonna be close to Barcelona. I don't know if I can do it. Right. Yeah. It's uh. It's probably gonna be uh. June seventh, eighth, and ninth. I wouldn't want to get the measles from some of you motherfuckers. Yes. <laughs> gross. <laughs> fucking people. The measles are coming back, baby. Fucking get ready. mouth breathers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that said, uh, um. How's your week uh, it, it, speaking of Barcelona, this week I uh, I got a call from. Uh, well, last week I got a call from uh, Tomer Botner from Florentine Kitchen. I just said, "Listen, I got a I got a customer of mine in te- in uh, near your neck of the woods, and I was wondering he needs a couple knives fixed of mine. Do you think you could fix them for me?" And I'm like, "Yeah, listen, you're my friend. No matter, no problem, whatever." So it turned out the guy had sent me 12 knives. Holy 12, shit. You know, like eight of them, and the handles all Just need to be redone. The handles oh. need to be fixed. This motherfucker, I mean, he ain't listening to this, and I don't think Tomer's listening to this. probably, he listens in and out. And I hand, he put the guy, put it in the dishwasher. It's like, I was like, oh, I had to God, fix, so I had to fix every, I was like, I, and I did it because, you know, the guy paid me, obviously, but I mean, I did it for, 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 uh, for Tomer too, because, you know, look, you can't send, you know, 12 knives to, Spain and back and think that the duty, the taxes and the duty and everything are going to be okay. But uh, at right. the end of it, Tomer's like, you're now Florentine Kitchen Knives 
U.S. And I'm like, you're, you're right. <laughs> I U.S. brunch. Because yeah. I've made, I've made like, I've made a pile of them. I remember the first time I went to visit him, I was waiting for the airport and I hand sanded a pile of knives for him. And I've stunned about six or seven stacked handles. His, his style, the way he does it. I'm just like, holy shit, I could work for Tomer 100%. You could plug me right in. 100%. Nice. So we just put those in the mail and we're working on a couple things. Um, but honestly, I want to get into the fact that our listeners are fantastic and our listeners have uh, sent us a lot of wonderful feedback in the last couple episodes in regards to we've done this kind of like, you know, we've been doing this, what, six years now, five or six years now? I mean, you got to talk about something mm -hmm. different. We've been talking a little bit about self-sabotage the last two episodes, and it really resonated with our listeners. So we have a ton of listeners, uh, red flags, and self-sabotage, stories of self-sabotage. And we should just, you know, want to thank you both for uh, being as, you know, uh, forthright as you are. Mm -hmm. Well, let's continue with those self-sabotages. Um, but first off, let's tell everybody about the greatest heat ovens in the world um, from Evenheat, evenheat-kiln.com. Um, they're what we use. Everybody we know uses an Evenheat because they're the best. So if you're looking for an oven, head over to evenheat-kiln.com. Okay, what we got then, Jeff? Who's so, self-sabotaging? We the last two episodes we were talking about self-sabotaging, you know, in order to be, you know, we talk about knife making, we talk about business, but we there's this kind of like in-between part where, yes, you know how to make a knife and you know how to sell a knife, but it's like what is it in ourselves that are is is maybe stopping us or sabotaging us or it's always unconscious, but at the same time, blah, blah, blah. So if you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, that's where you oh, but please. If you want to send us any messages about this podcast, send it to Knife Talk, please. I'm begging you because it's like, it's a whole production. Um, so the first one is from Sam Goff. Sam Goff says, I just self-sabotaged myself by drinking 300 uh, milliliters of caffeine at 9 o'clock at night. That's actually pretty funny. So, uh, Oh, jeez. Do you, do you drink coffee at night, guys? No. No. What's your cutoff? 2 p.m., anything after won't be good for me yeah and i wouldn't necessarily say because it's a lack of sleep it's just it won't go well with my i generally have one in the morning if i have one late it's not going to work well with my stomach and as you all know from my last appearance <laughs> on this show it doesn't take much to get me the squits <laughs> squits the squits i i cannot drink coffee past nine in the morning Otherwise, Whoa. it's like, oh yeah, dude. Whoa. I'm now. I, I I'm like streamlined. I'll be wild. Actually, I I was almost gonna drink coffee. I went to a Knicks game this past uh, in Madison Square Garden, and the the shitty part was, I had to stay up late because I had to make a train to come home. But the bar horrible part was, is we got in the in the game. We're sitting. I'm sitting with my high school friend and his daughter, who, while we're watching the game, found out that she got accepted to college. And we're looking at the practice, and none of the starters were playing. So it was all the scrubs. So we pay, so I had to take a train to the city. I had to stay up late. I, the, we had paid a lot of money for the tickets, and none of the starters played, and they got blown out. So, And I was thinking, maybe I should have some coffee. I'm like, don't have any coffee. <laughs> Huge mistake. Yeah. Next one comes from oh, our friend. Gonna... Go ahead. <laughs> My cutoff is th 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Afternoon. Yeah, it's just if I drink it any, any later... I'll be fucking wired and wide awake. And what's weird is it doesn't hit me right away. It's just when I'm like, I, I realize I'm wired when I'm trying to go to sleep. 
Oh. Um, but if it's if it's a late like uh, once a week, I get I go out and play pool, and uh, I kind of semi torture myself and I stay out until like one o'clock in the morning or something like that. And after you know by eleven o'clock or midnight, I'm dragging ass a little bit and tired, and I'll do just like a little tumbler tumbler glass of Coke to kind of give me a little bit of a boost, but mm. caffeine would be too much. Coke, to be to be clear, Coca Cola. No, cocaine. <laughs> to be clear, cocaine. okay. Yeah, okay. Half a cup of a, a, a full tumbler glass, jeez. Cocaine, <laughs> 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 Have mercy, baby. We're gonna drink some cocaine and play some pool. Laramie Jackson. Laramie Jackson says, "How do you how do you deal with imposter syndrome as a person or as a knife maker?" So he's asking, "How do you overcome imposter syndrome?" And I was thinking about it just to get you guys prepared. I wonder if all professions have imposter syndrome. Part of me feels as though certain professions or careers most likely don't have imposter syndrome. Probably, hmm. I think that when you're, I think that most artists don't, most like working sculptors, working painters, working artists, most of them don't have imposter syndrome because you're expressing yourself. And if it's successful and you're excess, you're expressing yourself, then how can you be an imposter? I would imagine in the knife game, there, there's far more uh, it, uh, issue, uh, in issues, examples of imposter syndrome because knife making is so many just tips to kind of create something that you know. And maybe mm. one of those tips or one of those parts makes you, you know, or you're not as good as other people. And I can understand why there's more imposter syndrome in knife making because it's almost like a, a there's a um, consistency in terms of the product. I'd say because, yeah, because a knife is functional, let, let, let's say it's still art. Let's, right. let's put it in, in, the, in the pot with art. Right. Most art isn't functional and it's based on opinions. Right. Um, Subjective. Whereas, it's subjective, exactly. Whereas a knife is functional, um, so there is obvious flaws if it's not quite right, um, and it can easily be measured against other people's work. I think. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, I could see how we lots of imposters, you know, imposter syndrome rather. Um, but personally, I think with age, I'd say that maybe the last ten, fifteen years. Personally, for me, I just think. Fuck it. I, I used to get it a lot with whatever I was doing. Always thinking, oh, geez, geez, should I be doing this or is this good enough? Um, but I think with age, I think that changes and you think, fuck it, I'm doing this almost for me anyway, rather than anybody else. So you don't, that, that doesn't really come, come into, into my mind, you know? Experience is underrated. Hmm. Hmm. You know? Yeah. What do you think, Racco? How do you overcome imposter syndrome? Um, I'm trying to think for myself and my kind of my journey, I guess. Um, yeah, I think at a certain, for a little while, I, I mean, obviously I'm doing all the work and I'm doing good work, but I, I feel like I hadn't really hit my stride yet or come into my own style yet. And up to that point, I, I didn't really feel... God, I, I, I don't, I felt like, 
I don't know if I necessarily felt like an imposter, but I just, I felt like I didn't, I wasn't doing my own thing. And I think I can see how p- potentially somebody might feel like an imposter if, if they haven't really kind of struck out and come up with their own style. Um, but I think it also, at least for me, comes from a place of, um, I guess maybe not feeling worthy of like good shit to happen to me in my life just because of my past and history and shit like that. Um, and kind of the models that were set forth or, or that were, that I had when I was growing up as a kid. Um, and so I think, I think it really comes down to, and I read this really great book called, um, I think it's just called self compassion, um, by Kristen Neff. And, and it's about, kind of taking it easy on yourself, right? Like I I think um, the people that I, that I know who are the hardest on themselves are often creative people. And, and we have a tendency to be our own worst critic often. I mean, there's, there's an old adage. I mean, it's, it's there for a reason, exists for a reason. Um, and I think uh, some of that, um, imposter syndrome comes from us, maybe telling ourselves that we're not good enough or being hard on ourselves for making mistakes. Um, when the reality, the fucking reality, like making mistakes is part of it. But mistakes, I think, and I said this last episode, are lessons in disguise. And if you don't learn the lesson, then they stay mistakes. And you're likely to make that fucking mistake again. Um, but if you try to learn from it, like I'm trying to learn from my mistake this past week, then it becomes a lesson. And I get to add that to like my tool belt of skills and, and shit like that and knowledge and understanding going forward. And yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is just like taking it easy on yourself. Um, because realistically, like other people's opinions, I think like either Craig, Craig was saying, is like, it, shouldn't actually matter too much unless they're the people who are the closest to you, whose opinions really truly mean a lot to you. Then outside of that, like fuck everybody else. Cause it's just noise. And so you got to take care of yourself and be good to yourself. And, and especially when you're, you're not doing anything that's hurting anybody. Like if you're doing shit and you're being negative and terrible to other people or physically or emotionally or mentally or whatever, that's fucked up. Sure. But most of us are just in a creative, expressing ourselves creatively through this work or various other styles of work. And what's important is that we're, we're finding that value and being willing and having kind of like the bravery kind of in a way to share that out in the world with everybody else. Um, but yeah, I think a big part of it is just, taking it easy on yourself that's Uh, the you what you just said was very interesting because that's the one major thing that working artists uh contemporary artists have to deal with which is the vulnerability of putting something out in the world that is to be judged it is to be judged. I mean, art is to be judged. You go into a gallery, and when I say judged, I mean like when you go into a gallery, this resonates or doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. This makes you think of something, or this makes you think of something good, makes you think something bad, but there is a degree of you're judging it based off of not it's good or bad, but it's making you feel something. So when you are uh, an artist or you're expressing yourself, you're up for being vulnerable to the slings and arrows of the viewer. And that's just, that's part of it. I yeah. totally agree with you in regards to being gentle on yourself. I also believe it's good to be, be, it's good to kind of deal with 
these hardships and and say, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? What yeah. are we going to do about it is the biggest thing, is the biggest takeaway. It's just like, okay, I acknowledge this. Now what? So are we going to just, you know, keep, you know, freaking out? Or are we going to, like, say, all right, we're gonna, I'm going to listen to what Mareko said, and I'm going to do this, this, and this, and fuck them. We're going to keep going. That's the hardest part. It's addressing these issues, labeling them, and then figuring out what the fuck you're going to do about it. Sure. Mm. Yep. And I'd say whether that's knives or art or any sort of any creative output, I think, really, you know, if you put anything out there, it's, it's as you say, it's there to be judged. But you, Craig, are the most uh, vulnerable at this point because you're making music that's being listened to by not only your brethren and fellow countrymen, but fucking Liam Gallagher is saying stuff about it. So how do you feel in the music game? Do you feel a degree of imposter syndrome or do you have, I mean, how do you feel when you, when you're getting ready to have Liam Gallagher listen to your music for the first time? <laughs> um, yeah, I think if this was me when I was 25, I don't think I could do it to be honest with you. I think I'd be too nervous about what people thought about me, what people uh, thought about the music. Um, but now, I mean, I'm realistic. I'm mid to late 40s with a belly, grey hair, you know. So I know that we're not going to sort of take over the world and we're, you know, we're going to be a, a huge rock band. So I'm just I'm just happy for what we have. Um, but, yeah, only because I'm at a certain point in my life, I think. If the, as I say, if this was 25 years ago, 20 years ago, um, things would be would be very different, and I can imagine like a lot of people would feel almost crippled um, by the visibility. I think particularly with music, because you put it out there, and particularly now, it's everybody's fingertips. Um, everybody can just press skip and move on to the next as if it never happened. Um, yeah, I think with age comes some sort of wisdom, and this an attitude of. I don't really care. I, I'm just doing what I enjoy doing now. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, even now with gigs, I don't really get nervous. Um, I'm just, I'm just hopeful that I'm going to enjoy it. You know. It's funny that you say when you were younger you would have felt differently because I, th I thought about hmm. it and I think from 18 to 25 I was the most arrogant. So I would have totally been <laughs> like, if I was in the oh 18 to 25, I was the most arrogant. 30 to 40, I was the most pussy. And then 42 to now, I'm as arrogant as I, I'm, I'm, I'm as arrogant as I was when I'm 20, but far more like mature about it. I'm yeah. far more mature <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. So like from 30 to from 30 to 40, imposter syndrome all day because I had seen so much failure. Like mm. the 30 to 30 to 40, it was like everything nothing was working right and i was getting these i had to be in metal shops and the art world was not working and i was rejected from gallerists and it was shit was not fucking flying and anytime i tried to like dip my toe back in i felt like Ugh, what the what's the fucking point now it's just like you know 40 to 50 it's just like i know what the fuck i'm doing and i but i do get imposter syndrome on certain things but then at the same time it's just like fuck it how much more time do i have left on this planet you know if you mm. want another 20 years 30 years come on man. I, th I think a lot of it is to do with maybe having kids as well yeah of course where other people's opinion doesn't really doesn't matter because all that really matters is that your family are happy and safe you know that's that's the only thing that i worry about when you um, when you two guys have your kids out the door, 
the arrogance is going to bl- go through the roof. <laughs> I'm telling you. That was like a Hillary and I are like doing victory laps. Jeez, I'll, be, I'll be 60. I'll be 60, believe me. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to be. The, I'm telling you. Kid went to college and we're like doing high fives. We're like, I'm like, we're like putting medals on each other and we're like standing. Imagine like those the fucking Olympics blocks in our own house. Two Olympics blocks. And we're standing up there with, playing the fucking Olympics music, pointing fucking laurel wreaths on our heads. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Talking um, about the Olympics, the gold medal of abrasives must go to Combat Abrasives at combatabrasives.com. Um, they make the abrasives that we all use. Um, whatever you're after, they're going to have it. Um, go take a look, combatabrasives.com. Um, if you use Knife Talk 15, 15 you get 15% off your order, um, which can be a hell of a saving. So go take a look. Try something new. Try something new. Put something new in your basket, um, and it might just change the way you work. Go take a look, combatabrasives.com. So one of our great listeners, Paul Jansen, who always submits, <laughs> always submits. Paul yeah. Jansen, he's, uh, he's, he, he helps drive the train, which really is something special. I, to the listeners who are constantly submitting stuff, I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Paul Jansen says, part of the reason imposter syndrome plagues me and probably others is because we expect our work to be judged by other makers, not our customers. Mm. I'm worried about a knife maker. A knife maker will call out the flaws that the end user probably would never notice. It's a good point. Mm. Yeah. I, now, I think if you look at anybody's sort of social feed, any particularly knife makers, um, they're probably following a hell of a lot of other knife makers. And we, I always make this comparison of plumbers. I'm pretty sure plumbers won't be looking at other plumbers' work. Um, but it's something that... Knife makers, particularly, I mean, the six years we've been doing this, we get various forms of this question a lot. Um, and I think when it comes to, um, you know, looking at other people's work and and, and, and your own worth, um, it can be easy to get sucked into that, just looking through your feet going, well, that's better than mine. That's better than mine. That's better than mine. Um, and, you know, your own personal worth could, could feel less. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a weird one how as let's call us creative makers how we all probably do that we follow others whether it's for inspiration or whatever it may be um but the fact that we can do it knowing that it's just gonna suck suck our own worth slightly it's, it's a bit of a strange one you don't think that a plumbers are looking at each other's pipes you don't think they don't <laughs> want, to see, fans. They want to see how they lay that pipe those <laughs> plumbers are totally looking at other people's work electricians are always looking at other people's work you, getting judged is like in a field is like that's normal shit that's totally yeah. normal shit like welders there's fucking you know you if you you're weld, right actually welders yes you're oh right my you're right God, yeah, these yeah. Re- these oh, i wanted to say something horrible these morons are like <laughs> you call those dimes i don't call those dimes and you didn't you didn't have your it's like you you put a weld on instagram and see how see how like how much how many flies come out it's just like <laughs> it's ridiculous yeah. it's hard out there i remember there was a couple knife makers out there who were like i could tell they were like very salty about other people and they would if if you just did uh like i said a couple of weeks ago if you just did a belt finish and you only went to 60 grit they called it uh look at him 60 grit and quit you know it's like you know there are people who are you know probably jealous most likely or just aggravated yeah yeah mm-hmm. what do you think Morocco? yeah i mean i think i become the most self-conscious about my work when other makers are looking at it for sure 
especially if they're they're friends or people I respect. Um, because you know we we see each other's work online, um, but we rarely see each other in person, or or to show each other's work in person, and um, and so yeah, I I can feel I I definitely feel that kind of anxiety when I hand a piece of my work to somebody else mm. to have a look at. A couple of years ago, Josh Prince ordered one of my knives, and I was like shitting bricks shitting bricks that I, of what was going to happen and he was into it he liked it he really liked it and we had a we had a good conversation and and i was really like i was fucking nervous i was nervous making knives for other knife makers is pretty terrifying because mm -hmm. um, yeah. they know all the things you know most knife make no most pot most um customers don't know a lot of the they don't really know a lot about anything some some of them some of them and so mm -hmm. they won't pick up on things that uh, a knife maker will pick up on I think sometimes we forget that generally we want other people to succeed, right. not to see them fail. But when you, when the thought of somebody else holding your work who knows what they're doing, in your mind you're thinking they're just looking for the flaws. They're just looking for the flaws. Where, yeah, it it, it is just really, really difficult in this age where everything is on socials and, and it's, yeah, it's, it all plays into this, this you know, syndrome of syndrome? Oh, sure syndrome yeah 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 of um imposter syndrome yeah mm. yeah S small town smithing says man the talk about time as a commodity really resonates last week uh um Reco and i were saying that you know you spend money and everything like that but your time you just lose it and there's it's like we don't realize how little time we have i'm pushing to get a full-time knife ma i'm pushing to get full-time knife with knife making by next year it's a dream for sure i'm lucky to be able to uh, apprentice with some amazing craftsmen in the field realizing the sand is running out on the timer is a great motivator that's the number one for me it's like mm. you know how much more time can we do this and how can we do it as safely and as healthily and as comfortably as we can yeah, I, I talk about him quite often on the show, or I have done in the past, uh, David Hyatt, who runs a, a, funny enough, a jeans company, but he also puts on these events as well. And he has this phrase about talking about the time bank of, you know, you can go to the bank and withdraw cash and you can you can put more cash in, you can refill it back up and the rest of it. But with time, you can't. And it's going to come to a point where you get there and there's literally no time left, you know, yeah. and, there's, and there's nothing you can do to change that. So, yeah, it, and I think particularly now what... My well, our age collectively, the three of us, we're all probably at that stage where we're thinking, you know, we're thinking about the future more than as if we were in our twenties, where you know, you got plenty of time to do what you want to be doing. <laughs> um, that you know, that changes almost overnight. I think when you get to sort of thirty-five, you know. Sure. Yeah, I'm all of a sudden realizing like all that old age and shit that I was thinking about when I was younger. I'm all of a sudden I'm fucking here, yeah. and so. <laughs> So now I am thinking, yeah, definitely thinking about time and what time might be left and, and what to do with that um, while you got it. I am definitely, I've definitely, in the past 10 years, I've been really trying to hold back the aging process by like really cutting back on a lot of things that were not beneficial to my future. And I, mm. that's the one thing that uh, I was, a friend of mine was telling me, it was a, uh, the I said a nutritionist, my nutritionist friend uh, Tyler. I was on the phone with him, uh, Tyler Mitten. He's a awesome guy, and I think he was saying that what discipline is is discipline is like a gift to your future self. 
because you're, you know, when you're trying to be healthy and try to be disciplined, you're, you're, it's like a love note to your future. So I really, I mean, exercise and eating right and cutting a lot of bullshit out, like drinking coffee. I had one cup of coffee a day and I don't cut out of, you know, pretty much red meat is out and, uh, you know, booze is out and I'm just trying to like get a lot of sleep and exercise and try to like eke these last you know, usable years really of heavy work, I don't have much time and I'm going to try to slow it down as possible. But, uh, you know, when I look down, I see my feet first, then my dick and my penis. No, my dick and then my stomach. I see my, I don't have two dicks. I don't have two dicks. My feet, feet stick out first. Title, then the, penis, the man with two dicks. Then, okay. the, then the penis, feet first, then the penis, and then the stomach. So I'm tr- that's, that's the key. That's the golden rule. That when you look down, what sticks out the farthest? <laughs> you want your stomach to stick out the least. Yeah, it'd be nice if your dick stick out the farthest, but that ain't happening anytime soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? So depends on the time of year. Yeah, baby. Or when you get out of the pool, right? Okay. Uh, this is from Legacy Blades. Legacy Blades says self-sabotaging feedback. I think Craig had said he feels like he only has an hour or two to spend in the shop. He feels like it's pointless because he won't get enough done. That's mm. been a huge thing I've been trying to work on at nights and weekends as a maker. I think one of the keys is changing my head where an acceptable stopping point for a part of a where for where a pro, part of a process is. Example, mm. in the past if I feel like I don't have enough time to do an entire handle, I don't even want to start. Changing the mindset, though, I say, okay, I've had enough of this. Let's get on with the profile shaping, and then I'll sculpt the rest of it the next free block of time. It's made me a lot more efficient in the last several months, and I'm feeling less stress about uh, trying to block off two to three hours just to work within the blocks of time that I have. Magna hmm. Carta. Here's the Magna Carta summarized. The mindset continues to be a key in all aspects of life. Thanks for broaching a heavy topic, Jared. So nice. That's tough, man. It's tough getting in, getting in and out there, and trying to figure out a way to deal with all this stuff. Um, last on uh, this uh, self sabotage is Spruce Hill Studios on the topic of self sabotage. Demand avoidance. I don't know what this is a thing. Demand avoidance. That's an expression. Demand avoidance. Never heard it. Pathological demand avoidance is something we're learning about in our family as we go down the neurodivergence path of discovery. It's defined as not being able to do certain things at certain times, either for yourself or for others. It's a uh, and the pathological pathological version means you avoid many everyday demands simply because they are demands. I know a lot of us <laughs> makers, including myself, have a harder time following through on a commission work versus something that they're on they're they're not on the hook for. These are terms I wasn't aware of until I started learning about neurodivergence in our house, and I thought some familiarity about around this topic might be helpful to the community. So basically, what he's saying is is if you have this psychological block when you have to do something, like you got money for a commission, and all of a sudden the fun of it is gone because you have to you're committed to this versus you just want to fuck around and make something you want to make. Mm. So. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's me all over, and <laughs> not just in knife making, in in anything, in anything. Whether it's a piece of admin I need to do for the house, 
it's it's like oh man it's the last thing i want to be doing when i could be doing this which sounds a lot more fun i'll do this instead you know um yeah that just that just does describe me and and a lot of it then comes down to guilt this whole thing of not starting okay i've got an hour i could do something in an hour but then you, you think oh I, there's nothing i could do in an hour i won't but then you just feel guilty for 50 minutes yeah you know, right. and then you then you it's hear right. then you hear Jeff or Brian House talking about getting up at three a.m. and having their one coffee and working for fifteen hours and taking over the world. You just think, oh Jesus Christ! And it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just, you just think, oh man, I'm a shit. And then it happens again the next day and the next day. Before you know it, you're three months in, and this is just a cycle that you're in. Um, but that that just describes me completely, completely. If there's something that could be slightly more fun to do, I'll. I'll rationalize it in my head and think, okay, let, this this is far more important now, but it clearly isn't, you know. Um, but I, I'm very good at rationalizing ridiculous into being important. Yeah. I don't want to make it seem like I'm some sort of like special situation. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in a situation where I had one parent who was incredibly disciplined and very very fruitful in the things that they did, and I had one that was not and. The problem was I saw someone who I loved and cared for have no motivation at all and expected things just to work out okay. Hmm. And then now we're in a situation where they're not. And it's like I've seen what being not, you know, disciplined and motivated does. And I fucking cannot, I cannot have it. I cannot hmm. have it. Like I cannot, hmm. I cannot, because I've seen the end. I've seen what yeah. happens. I've seen the fact that the, 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 you know, what is it? The story, the, the happy ever after it doesn't fucking happen unless you do it. Mm. It's terrifying, frankly. Yeah. yeah. And this, this whole discipline and motivation, I wouldn't say I don't have it, but it's always directed in the wrong way. Right. So if I'm into something, especially something new, I'm the most motivated, <laughs> you know, that anybody I know is the most important thing in the world. And that could be something so, so ridiculous that really doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that that is all I'll think about for the next 48 hours, you know. Um, it's a weird one. It's, it is a real weird one. I'm, I'm slowly starting to sort of learn what, you know, what all that is about. And um, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a battle, but it's something that I'm completely aware of. And at the time, you don't see it. But maybe a few days later, you'd go, Jesus, I should have been doing that, and I didn't do it. I made this other thing far more important when it wasn't. The, the other thing is, is like we're living in a time where there's more opportunities for personal growth than ever there ever was. And like upward mm. mobility, opportunities for upward mobility than, than, than there ever was. And we also don't have this long length of training people to become entrepreneurs or, or work for themselves or small businesses. And people mm. are flailing in the beginning because they don't have any kind of like education on how the, to do it correctly. You know, and the other yeah. thing is, is I grew up, my father had his own business. Both my sisters had their own businesses and they had small businesses and they struggled with employees and they struggled with taxes and they struggled with business and they, times were good, times were bad. So I saw what it's like to be a small business person and I was kind of used to, and now I find myself in these situations where I'm like, I remember talking to my sister and she was kind of going through the same thing. So it's like, I was comfortable with what the expectations were in regards to small business is hard. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think, Marco? Yeah, I, I definitely struggle with that. I mean, this knife that I'm struggling with right now 
um, I started it like two years ago, right? And I, I kept delaying it and putting it off and, and doing shit like what Craig was saying, like, you know, kind of avoiding what I should be doing um, when it's just sitting there, like literally right in front of my face. And I think part of that comes from um, this leveling of anxiety that I experience, especially around something that is going to somebody that I perceive is very important and and I don't want to mess it up. And that desire to not mess it up feeds that anxiety and slows me down and pulls me back from being productive. Hmm. Um, and it happens, honestly, quite a bit lately. And I don't enjoy it. I'm really struggling with it. And um, another book that I've I've read and I need to reread, actually, it was a really great one. It was written by Mel Robbins. It's called The Five Second Rule. And basically, it, the, the, it comes down to if she's got something she wants to do, like from the point she thinks about it, she starts counting down. Five, four, three, two, one blast off. And then she fucking goes and does it. And it's, but it is challenging because then you have to d- discipline yourself just to, to start. And it's called initiation action. And then she goes throughout the book. She kind of tells all these different examples and some of the science behind all this stuff like that, um, to help kind of really s- send the message home. But really the struggle is initiation action. And I find when I'm when I'm feeling uh, anxious about something, or I'm I just am like fucking death scrolling through Instagram, and I have I definitely have a lot more important things to fucking do. I sit down, or I don't sit down. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I get up. I grab whatever I'm supposed to be doing. And the whole time I feel like this tension in my body. And I'm, even as I'm walking to the grinder and I'm putting the belt on and all this shit, I'm just feeling anxious. And then I start doing it. And after like a minute, I'm now all of a sudden, and sometimes it takes longer. Maybe it's five minutes. I'm just like, now I'm back into work mode and I don't have to sit back in my, my chair at at my workbench and continue to death spiral, basically downward spiral, as Jeff might say, but just like this downward spiraling of ruminating and overthinking really like we are the best at sabotaging ourselves, which is what this whole conversation is about because of these fucking stories and these things we tell ourselves and we need to tell us, we need to learn how to interrupt that and tell ourselves a new fucking story and then move forward. And that's kind of like, that's a big part of where I'm at right now and, and things I've been struggling with. Um, and I, I think, it's, you know, parts of it definitely have to do with my easy distractibility of ADHD and fucking struggling with depression and shit like that too. And it all kind of compounds and builds on each other. And so I'm trying to learn these new um kind of approaches or these various approaches to have not just one, but kind of a toolbox to choose from. If like I try one and I'm fuck, I didn't do it. Try another one. Okay. That one worked that time. But then it may, I might have to go through like four or five different things before I figure out what the fuck, you know, I, which one's going to work this time. 
But I think the key is having those tools to help support you in the process of moving forward. When, when, sorry, you were saying, Craig? Oh, I was just going to say, shit, we're turning into a real podcast here. Don't <laughs> fucking forget about it. Number one, <laughs> bitches. Number one. But Sorry, I, Jeff, go on. I was going to tell you, it's interesting that you were talking about that because when my father died, I was like bereft because there was so many, you know, all these different emotions, but also like trying to, I couldn't really, there wasn't fixing problems that I was hoping would be fixed by the time he was done. Mm. And I had real problems with his wife who ultimately was a, you know, a really horrible, horrible person that I knew. And uh, even talking about him, I started stuttering, by the way. I used, he used to, I had a terrible stutter when I was a kid, and he used to make fun of my stutter. And, like, oh, wow. he's haunting me from the fucking, from the fucking grave. With, he made me fucking stutter back there. I fucking saw you, Ben. Don't worry about that. I Don't worry about that. But uh, my, I ended up going to a shrink for a while, a therapist. And the therapist said, well, it sounds like you're having these very standard conversations with this particular person, his wife. He's like, and you say this, and then that makes them say this, and then that makes you say this. And he said to me, don't go by the script. The biggest problem that people have is they have this script on how they behave. Don't follow the fucking script. Fo change the script. Don't follow the script. You're gonna. This is what happens every single time. You, I say this, then you say this. This makes me feel that way, then it makes her feel that way, and then they go back and forth. Break up the fucking script. It's like on Seinfeld, where uh, George Costanza is like, I'm miserable, I suck, I live at home, I, 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 uh, I, I don't have a job. And they say, well, why don't you do the opposite of what you do? Why don't you do the opposite of all your decision-making? And he's like, okay, I'll do the opposite. And he, he, so there's this beautiful woman, and you say, hey, look, George, there's this woman staring at you. Maybe you should go up to say, to see some, to say something. And she goes, he goes, what are we, we going to do? I'm going to go up to her and say hello? He says, yeah, do the opposite of what you normally do. So he goes up to her, and he says, hi, my name's George. I'm unemployed. I live with my parents. How are you? <laughs> and then she just looks at him. She goes, Hi. And it's just uh, this hilarious moment of like, he did the exact opposite and everything worked out. Yeah. And I feel like there's almost like there is something to be said about, you know, try to change the script. Yeah. You know, so. Absolutely. No, all good stuff. All good stuff. Right. I am tell everybody about MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Um, they are the one-stop shop for knife makers with steel, belts, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns, and more. Anything we mention on the show, basically, Lawrence gets it in stock. Go take a look. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Um, they've got a deal on where you buy 10, 10 belts, rather, and you get 10% off. Um, but yeah, always good stuff in stock. Go take a look at Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram as well, um, or as Lawrence posts uh, when they get new stuff in. Um, but yeah, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Go take a look. I just got some Hitachi White in, I just saw. Oh. Which is kind of like a super clean, super high carbon, or I guess typically, uh, they're called ultra high carbon steels. Mm. Uh, it's manufactured in Japan and just makes for really great knives, especially uh, culinary knives. I'm looking forward to answering some of the questions, but I must address something right now. Craig Lockwood, hmm. when he names podcasts, he puts them up right. He puts them up right at the top of our show notes, <laughs> and, and this is the p potential name for this week's episode. You don't know. We don't know. We could change. He could change his mind. This w episode is called "The Man with Two Dicks but No Motivation." <laughs> 
<laughs> you really, we're having this real serious conversation, <laughs> sensitive, serious, you know, vulnerable, and all of a sudden, all he gets out of it is the man with two dicks with no motivation. <laughs> You're hilarious, dude. You are fucking hilarious. I know. Come Monday morning when I come to upload this, I'd forget a title and I need to skim through bits. And I think, yeah, we're done. We're set now. We're set. <laughs> that is, that is actually. You know what? That is a goddamn genius title, by the way. The idea that he's got two dicks and no motivation is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god! He's, he got two dicks and no hands. You know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, guys, if you want to ask us some questions for the show, go to Night Talk Podcast on Instagram, where you can interact with the show. Send us whatever you want, your red flags, your your listener feedback. But this is the part of the show where we answer some of your questions. Uh, Mareko, you want to hit this first one? Yeah, this first one is from Sean Wilson. Uh, it says, tip, or sorry, question. Tips on when forging an integral, how to get a square shoulder to fit, hand, fit a handle to. If I don't forge in the bolster completely square, which I'd rather not do so so less grinding when uh, ra- rounding out, it seems impossible to get the uh, the Kamimura integral file guide to... F- oh, I see. The Kamimura integral file guide to fit on square. I see. So a square on the shoulders. I was... From I was the shoulder great. of the tang. I think he's trying to he's trying to square up the sho- the the bolster so yeah. yeah yeah so on either side of the bolster not the bottom I was I when I first saw that I was reading it as the bottom of the bolster but he's talking about the the on either side of the bolster when it's still in the rough form in the block form and honestly like there there aren't a lot of good tricks um you you just kind of for a long time what i did was just eyeball um i would grind one flat and then i would grind the other shoulder to parallel basically to match that as best as i could um but there's only so much you can do and for a long time i still even sometimes um have to throw in like a little leather gasket or something like that um to help suck up any extra wiggle room there might be in there um, from the shoulder being a little bit off or a little bit wider at the front rather than than at the back or vice versa um so that's unfortunately there there currently uh, there aren't really a lot of good solutions for that though i have been trying to work on one and so uh keep your eyes peeled for for one in the future hopefully a not too distant future but right now um right now yeah the best you can do is kind of eyeball parallel uh on those shoulders and then clamp the 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 file guide to it to square off the bottom of the bolster that makes sense yeah 100 percent. yeah i i you know it's funny because the way i read it was um about how you forge in how you forge in the tang into your integral bolster so mm-hmm. it's so it's an easy fit. I mean, that's sure. one of the things that um, I was thinking about in tr- return in terms of you know knife makers wanting to forge integral bolsters, and then how do you forge in so you have less grinding to do? Yeah, you know, so the connection is much more kind of like uh, easy connection. Sure. 
Well, and I'm just thinking about in regards to forging. I don't know why, but the shoulders of my bolsters. Oh, that's why. I, I just realized why. Anyways, um, the shoulders of my bolsters always end up kind of bulbous and rounded. And that's from like driving the bolster material down and um, which upsets it and causes it to kind of bulk up and bolt like bulge out in a way. But I never go back in to flatten it. And if you have a good set of flat dies, that should be able to give you good parallels, at least uh, between those two surfaces. And honestly, between whether you're using a press or a hammer, uh, if you're using a press, if you're using a C frame versus an H frame, there's always still a little bit of, um, what's it called? Um, but misalignment from, from the die faces, not being perfectly parallel to each other. But it'll be better than the nothing that I've been doing. (laughs) And honestly, Mm -hmm. I should be going back in just to get that little bit of flat on that bolster. So it makes it that much easier to attach the file guides for flattening the bottom of the bolster. Um, And that way, yeah, you just, you, in the forging, you've created something not only for the file guides later to attach to, but also actually kind of can help work as a visual guide for straightness and center uh, as you draw out and forge out the blade as well as the tang of the knife. And if you're using a forge or if you're using a press or a power hammer, kiss blocks are underrated. Yeah, kiss blocks you know, all day. Th- that was, I mean, if it wasn't for kiss blocks, we, we'd have to make railings with these pickets. We had to have kiss blocks to make sure that when we were rounding the square bar into to, to round, uh, square bar into round, that the kiss blocks made sure that we were at the same exact size every single time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. th- I would think that if you had a kiss block on that was exactly what you wanted that would probably help you in terms of kind of evening things out. For sure. So, there you go. Cool. Speaking of, oh yeah, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, okay, DTM shenanigans. And this is probably probably a good one for you, Jeff. Um, You've been talking about sandblasting recently. Um, So, gentlemen, a quick question in regards to a satin finish. I know people who reload shells use a vibratory uh, tumbler, tumbler to polish brass. Do you think the same or similar could be done to a knife? if just sandblasting media was put into a tumbler. I already use one for stonewash finish, but this could save time and cut out the blast cabinet. Hmm. First of first of all, did you get a blast cabinet in the end, Jeff? I haven't got I haven't I haven't had a chance. And I'm trying to like this is also uh, I would refer to this part of the year as a leaner area of the year. <laughs> so I'm less likely to spend and you know what, stupidly enough, the oil in the oil tank ran out uh <laughs> last week and i had to buy 500 gallons of fucking oil Holy and it was Jesus. like well, not 500 gallons i had to buy uh 150 gallons of oil i had to buy 150 gallons of oil and it was right before it was about to turn 60 degrees out and i was like well i can't have the chance of there being a freeze and then the pipes freeze mm-hmm. so i'm like i'm very like miserly in regards to this expenses i want to keep things kind of cool so no i have not bought anything of uh of note like a sandblaster haven't but i would think that if you put sand in a tumbler god forbid there's any uh um moisture in there or like a <laughs> spill any water in there or something like that and all of a sudden you're like i got a cement mixer i don't i'm not 100 percent sure I, it's a great idea i don't i never even thought about uh, the small media like that uh, for a stonewash finish um putting a very very small blasting media in there sandblasting media in the tumbler i'm not a hundred percent sure one of the things about the tumbler is the tumbler 
w- my tumbler will not take out um a se- will not change the scratch pattern you'll bump it a little especially if it's like stainless steel or you know anything above i would think 59 rockwell you're not going to be doing a lot of uh, manipulation of the, mm. the scratch pattern unless you do an acid finish first the whole point of that stone wash finishes you're darkening it with acid and then you put it in the stone wash and then the stone wash is releasing revealing the um parts of the blackened and taking some of the black part out and then you get this kind of mottled matte finish i'm not sure that you're unless you have some sort of fucking monster i don't see how you would be able to change the scratch pattern with a tumbler i may be wrong i have no idea i don't know if enough about it Okay. Good answer, right? I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm going to take this time to tell everybody about Texas Fire Supply, texasfiresupply.com. They sell Indasa RhinoWet, which is the sandpaper of the superstars. It's what everybody uses. It's going to save you money and save you time. But as well as RhinoWet, they sell anything else you could possibly need. TexasFireSupply.com. And if you use Knife Talk 10, you're going to get 10% off your order. So fill up that basket with lots of RhinoWet, lots of other good stuff that they've got there at TexasFireSupply.com. I just saw that they were down at Blade Show, Texas. Imagine that. I mean, if <laughs> I think, you they, I think they're only about an hour away from where it's being held in Fort Worth. I mean, yeah. you ain't got no. I mean, if they ain't at the if they ain't in <laughs> Texas, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they ain't, they ain't doing it right. Man, that show looked like there's a good group of people there, though. Alf, Al, our buddy Alfredo was there. That's right, Alfredo. Alfredo he, was there. He, with, he gets uh, around. Jeez, he's a good dude. A funny guy. He did a video with I think a Third Hill Customs, mm-hmm. Third Third Hill or Third Tree Third Hill Customs, and they did a basically like a, how do you speak in english to italian it was very very funny very very funny (laughs) this next question comes from our friend colorado bruce good old colorado bruce colorado bruce says hey man can i ask you a question do you think your podcast has influenced the knife community there's this newer company in portland oregon and they produce culinary knives drop forged american steel hand finished and coffee etched Heck, they're probably even using Mareko's coffee etch process. I say some of this in jest, but I do wonder if this company would have been possible without a resurgence in the popularity or awareness for the likes of your show and perhaps Forge and Fire. Any thoughts? Thanks for what you do, Colorado Bruce. Good old Colorado <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Mareko, you didn't invent the coffee etch, did you? I... I did not invent it, but I, I'm happy to rehash the story. It's very short. Um, the first time I heard about the coffee etch was when I first started Malmasi Fire Arts, and I was working out of Seattle, and um, I I met uh, Adam DeRosiers, and we were talking about Damascus finishing and all this kind of stuff, and he's mentioned that... Uh, he has maker friends in Europe who use instant coffee, and I was like, "Oh, really?" And I was so uh, we. He was talking about what, like, what kind of situations they would use it in, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, um, but there, he didn't. He didn't have like a mixture ratio, a time, temperature, any of that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I kind of like, I thought about it in the or in that conversation, and then kind of forget, forgot about it and never pursued it or hadn't pursued it. And then it was about uh, a year later that I started messing with it. And 
And that's when I kind of, at that point, had come up with a standard process. Well, and gosh, sorry. It was about a year later that I started messing with it. And then it was another year after that that I started talking about it. And then it was after that, I believe, is, and especially, oh gosh, what's Caleb's last name? I can't remember Caleb's last name. But anyways, uh, I, I had this conversation with this kid named Caleb. Um, and he ended up doing a write-up of our conversation or, or transcribed a video I made on Instagram back in like 2000 and shoot, 16, 17, something like that. And, um, and from there, people just have started using the coffee etch with honestly a lot of mixed results. And it, it is tricky sometimes to get consistent results, but I've finally gotten to a place where I'm getting very good, consistent results. Um, but it's taken fucking <laughs> like eight years <laughs> to dial it in. So, or I guess uh, seven years to get it dialed in. But that's, that's kind of how coffee etching really started to become a thing in the U.S. as far as I understand. Because otherwise, like you look on forums, you look on, like nobody was talking about it. It wasn't a thing. There could have been other people doing it. Um, n- none that I'm aware of. Um, and... Uh, other than, you know, like I said, the reference to the makers in the UK, um, or not the UK, but in Europe. And, um, and so that, that's where that all kind of, that's my part in all of the coffee etch thing stuff. Mm. So mm. do you think that this podcast has influenced companies? Do we have that type of juice? For sure. You think so? Yeah. You think we got that kind of juice? All day. All day. Yeah. Fucking love it. It's a bold move. That's a fucking two dick, no motivation move. <laughs> two dicks and no motivation, bitch. That's the name of the next fucking knife company. So I know this guy that owns this uh, Steelport knife company, or he's he's part owner in it, and he owns the Portland Knife House, which is a culinary uh, like kitchen knife store uh, in Portland. And then he also has the Phoenix Knife House, which is the same thing, just down in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, his name's Aton. He's a good dude. Actually, when I did, um, I did a sharpening kind of a quote unquote sharpening competition, um, kind of put together by Triple B, um, about a year ago now. Um, but we did it at the Steelport facility at their shop where they, where they do their knife making. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's cool. You know, whatever you got to do to get a good look on your knife. And honestly, coffee is right. Like it's a, it's, you know, it's food safe. That's for sure. And, um, and it's, it's a good look. All right. Well, you were right. Colorado, Uh, Colorado Bruce was right. One thing I would say in regard to influence of this show, we have spawned a lot of podcasts, I think. A lot of knife making and steel working podcasts from this show, um, but whether we've influenced the industry as such, who knows? Who knows? But with that, I think we should do a trio of ads. Get them out the way. It, I'm going to start with one. I think Jeff should tell us about working with his award award winning knife using Dharma Steel, and then uh, Marekka will tell us all about his grinder. But I'm going to start with Knife Print. Knifeprint.com. Um, if you've ever wanted to design a knife. 
um, on a screen on a computer, which makes it super easy to recall that design, make edits, make templates, all that kind of thing. You want to be using KnifePrint.com. Don't go downloading software. You need to pay for licensing and all that kind of thing. It's a waste of time. KnifePrint.com is all in the browser. Super, super simple. If you've never done it before, they've got a great education center there. They'll talk you through how to do it. Print to paper, so you get your template. But you can also print to steel, so you, you pick the stock, you pick the thickness, and um, they'll either water jet cut it or laser jet cut it, and they'll just ship it to you. So great for short runs and that kind of thing. Knifeprint.com, you'd never regret it. Speaking of never regretting something, I never regret using Damasteel. Go to damasteel.se and put in the promo code KNIFETALK10 for all the best pattern welded stainless steels you can imagine i'm telling you this stuff is dynamite and the guys over the guys and gals over damage steel are knowing what to do and making it happen for you go to damage once again knife talk 10 for the promo code go check them out on instagram knife talk uh damage steel uh, ab on instagram and uh we're uh very fortunate to be involved with them so that's that yeah yeah Man, uh, th- as I was talking about before, even though I fucked up my knife, I will say that <laughs> uh, my broadback grinder helped me get there in a good way. <laughs> oh, good. You're about to say. Is this the worst ivory ever? That broadback fucked that knife right up. No, no, no. no. It had nothing. To- broadback was killing it. It was me that fucked it up. Um, and But I just, I just, I'm so thankful for that machine. It is, uh, it, it comes in clutch often. Actually, I was also sharpening knives this week this week this week and one of the processes i do is offering to buffer uh, or not buffer but buff to buff sharpen some of the different knives especially like serrated knives and uh and i i can't do that without the broadback and so it's it's great that the broadback has so many different tool arms they're multiple machines in one uh they're great guys you know vince and ryan are great guys uh who have put together this company to help make a great grinding tool for makers and it was designed and made by these guys who are makers as well um and it's also a great machine for woodworking and any other kind of metal fabrication, steel fabrication you got to do. Um, so if you go to broadbackironworks.com and, oh, guys, I need your help. Is it Knife Bro- Talk 10, Knife baby? Knife Talk 10. Yeah, there you go. Put that in. Make sure you put that in at checkout no matter what you're getting. If you're getting the packages or you're just getting a single tool arm, uh, make sure you throw in that Knife Talk 10 to save yourself a little cashola. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Broadback, they're kicking ass. Saving we- ass. Saving ass. Speaking saving. of saving ass, <laughs> speaking of saving ass, we've got to do some feedback because the three of us are all here and there's okay. time sensitive feedback. Okay. Does that sound Let's okay by you? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, guys. Guys, if you, once again, Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram. Don't send it to Fader Knives. Don't send it to Momasi Fire Arts. Don't send it to Chop Knives. Knife Talk Podcast. This is listener feedback. The first one comes from our friend Wyoming Cody, and he says, I just bought a Broadbeck grinder and an even heat KB. Can't wait hey. to start throwing can't wait to start throwing sparks. Thanks for the inspiration, guys. Wyoming Cody, you're doing it right. Now this is where we get into you know, look, we had serious talk before, now it's going downhill. King uh come on knives. <laughs> come on oh, knives, Ben come on. One of the, you know, top-tier dude, top-tier, he says, when I typed in poop or poop knife, oh, when I typed in poop, 
poop knife was already the fourth recommendation from the top on Google, which <laughs> wow. tells me that many people recently looked that shit up. I blame Knife Talk Podcast for that. <laughs> Signed, Chuck Lestarfish. Chuck Lestarfish. I think it's Chocolate Starfish. I don't know what he's, so. he's going for. It's a butthole joke. But, um, yeah, Poop Knife... <laughs> Poop knife was a uh, big topic of conversation last week. Maybe people looked up a poop knife. But uh, Rainy Day Forge, Rainy Day Forge wrote, when I was 13, I was on a cross-Canada road trip. My 15-female-year-old cousin joined us on the trip. My parents went out and left us at a hotel, and I took a dump that clogged the toilet. <laughs> there was no plunger. And I wanted to call the front desk. My cousin wor was worried that we would get in trouble and didn't want to bother. She found a she found plastic cutlery in our room and proceeded to <laughs> no. chop up our poop. <laughs> no. I was mortified. She was a farm girl. Oh, well, geez. rainy day. Uh, I mean, oh, you know, blending it. Oh, uh, rainy. I gotta talk to you for something. I gotta talk. You know, when when I tell you to ask, send us a these stories you can no one's gonna fact check you <laughs> we don't have to you can fucking you can say a friend of mine was on a road trip <laughs> <laughs> i heard this story about this guy who fucked up a toilet you didn't have to say you did it and you don't have to blame your damn cousin <laughs> for fucking fixing it. You could have, you could have Plastic made it. We don't even care. We don't even care about the truth. You think we're gonna like we're gonna uh, like, call someone up and let me find your now probably hopefully I'm not calling your 15 year old cousin up about it. She's now she's got to be in her you know whatever 40s. But it's like make the fucking story up. Don't incriminate yourself like that. <laughs> Goddamn! I can see your poor this poor cousin with a fucking plastic knife and fork, you know, <laughs> hunched over the toilet. Oh, try it. Try it. Uh, maybe we'll go down the next flush. Wow. And maybe, what are you worst. doing, Rainy Day? Why are you letting her do that? What's the fucking matter with you? He's in the right? corner gagging. He's driving. I mean, and, and then let's just let's just cold back for a second here. Why did you tell her that you clogged the toilet? <laughs> what, what, how did this whole thing happen? You've told it this weird way. You should have been like, ah, I just couldn't say anything. But you had to tell her. And then she said, oh, I have a great idea. There's a fucking fork and knife in the drawer. We'll use that. Yeah. Two-inch <laughs> bits of plastic. Yeah. <laughs> this is the stupidest story of all time. <laughs> this is unbelievable rainy i'm kidding it's not the stupidest it ain't great but it's fucking I mean, the whole thing we have to talk later about it but i mean that's fine by me <sighs> nick's nick alpin says top five knife talk moments was when jeff was being vulnerable and craig shit his pants just to get out of the conversation <laughs> 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 Jeff expertly handled the following moments until Craig's return. <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. We I were mean, getting pretty deep, actually, and I was thinking I can't, I can't go now because it just it's wrong if I go now. The timing is wrong. So right though. Got to it the was point. So right. Yeah. This sums it up. Nick was 100 percent right. I was being vulnerable. You shit your pants just to get out of the conversation. Uh, the latest episode was fire with the real talk. Lots of love to everyone with shitting pants, shit with shitty parents who taught us how not to be that's funny 
Uh, Devil's Hollow Forge says, what's up, fellas? Quick feedback on getting photos. I started using an app called Photo Room. Uh, we were talking about getting photos. Uh, it has a little bit of a learning curve, but it's definitely up my photo quality. I'm sure a lot of guys like me are out there using their phone. Hope this helps. Um... Oh, this one we 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 did uh for the Super Bowl we did uh, uh, uh predictions and our friend Chris Holton was the closest by like we really he was really close to the predictions and he just wrote I was wondering why it's been raining poon for the last couple of days and then I listened to the latest episode of Knife Talk when I heard I was the Knife Talk Super Bowl prediction champion it all makes sense now thanks guys for keeping up the good work. Raining poon. You know what raining poon is, Craig? I'm assuming it's it's punani. Is the yeah, uh, yes, Poon-tang, yeah, punani, whatever it is. <laughs> it's raining poon. Yeah, that's right. Everyone listen to all, everybody listen to all that poons. Listen to this podcast. Um. Uh oh, this is interesting. You know, we we were uh, a number of episodes in Mareka. We never got to you. But this is a perfect uh, get you in on in, in this. Um, Brigham Kendall was asking about the coffee etch, and he was finding out he was finding that the uh, he, this is what he said. Any tricks on getting oxides from coming off of etch blades? I've watched it multiple times with soap and water, and I wax it, and still the black comes off. Now we had said you weren't here, and and Craig and I were saying that that when you're using coffee etch, I was saying I'm not sure it's actually. Um, the oxides at all. And I, I didn't know. And what Eric Markman wrote was coffee etch is manganese oxide. Okay. Do you know anything about that? I don't know about the chemistry of the coffee etch. But is it, would it, would it be that, is that etch kind of closer to being a stain or is it like, cause it doesn't scrub off like an oxide does after you pull steel from uh ferric. Yeah. No, I, I, I would, I, th- I think it's it's a combination of the kind of acids that are in the coffee, um, as well as um, the, it, them being dark and the way it opens up the surface and how it darkens it. I think it is still oxides. It just it's just a more durable um, the way that it is on the surface of the blade, for whatever reason. Well, we have a little bit more feedback, or we could do whatever you want. If we want to do a little uh, fool around afterwards, your call. Can we do just the next two questions, just quickly? Yeah, um, let's do it. Because I think quite interesting. So the first one is Uncle Sam Metalworks um, brings his question. He's been watching documentaries about Japanese sword making and the tapping of the anvil for the striker. And he said, "What is that telling the striker? Is it something to do with the strength of the hit or the speed, for example?" You know when you see him just you know tapping tapping right. the anvil there. Well, what are they doing? What's the purpose? What do you think, Marco? I mean, I think it's just the cadence. Um, I think I don't know how you would. I mean, they they might also be um, dictating the the strength of the hit, um, but I think I think mostly it's the 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 master kind of telling the the striker, "I want you to hit again." And again and again, and then if they need gentler hits, they usually stop and, uh, or don't continue the pinging. At least from what I've seen, and then they'll do a couple light hits to do some corrective forging and something like that, and then they put it back in the fire. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could be both. It could be just the cadence. I don't know. 
in my experience, it's been that. So you have a striker, and you have the guy with the you know one guy with the big sledgehammer, and one guy with the hammer, the, like the guy who's leading it. And Uri Hoffi used to do this a lot with uh, with his best student Zivik Gottlieb, and it was communication. So they wouldn't just start hitting. the The master would hit the anvil on the horn, and then that would signal uh, the striker to hit the anvil on the horn. So it's like you're in community, you're communicating. So hits the horn, hits the horn. Then he hits, and then they hit, and they go, they alternate. And then there'll be a moment where, especially as the steel is cooling down, you know, maybe the master will say, I don't want any more hit hard hits because obviously he's not doing anything and now I'll planish. So they'll hit or strike the anvil in a specific way or like, you know, uh, Hoffa used to just, you know, like, almost like he would ring it. It would be like the way you skip stones off water, it would just be like, uh, he would Mm. just kind of graze it. It would make a specific, and that was their communication on when to, for the striker to stop. Okay. So, yeah, so there's a lot of communication and most strikers and people, because, you know, you don't have a lot of time. There's not a lot of time in between heats. I know when, when, uh, uh, Cliff and John are super dialed in, like they've been forging together for so long, they know each other's, everything so they don't do that the tapping and stuff like that but they have they're they're in tune in generally they know how you know how how they normally do it although they'll say a little bit harder a little bit but the hammer thing is pretty cool because you can create this very quick pace and communication that means all right now you stop now you start now you stop and it's like the dinging means means that but Mm, i'm actually actually that reminds me i'm actually going to drag this question over uh, I know we don't do a lot of blacksmithing questions, so I'm actually going to be having Pat Quinn, uh, the director of the Center for Metal Arts, on Full Blast podcast for a number of episodes, and we're going to be asking asking blacksmith questions there. So hmm. he, he's going to be answering very specific questions for you in regards to this, uh, you, the listener, for uh, the Center for Metal Arts and basic forging, blacksmithing, whatever you want. So if you want to go over there, you can, you can get ready cool. for that. Cool. I just want to do this one last question because it's, it's about a gadget that could make our life easier. And if it's anything to do with gadgets, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, but, but first of all, I want to address something. So Connor Travis has sent this in. We've had lots of questions about naming a company, you know, XYZ Knife, whatever it may be. So Connor Travis, he didn't name his, his knife company Connor Knife Company or Travis Knife Company. He just called it Alan. Um... Alan Knife Company. <laughs> That's I think that's a mistake. I think I accidentally put I think I fucked up. Oh. Oh, well that's my little bit gone. Thank you for that, <laughs> I think because because Jeez. Alan Knives You know what? You're right. No, you're right. You're 100% right. No. Alan Knives he's Connor Let's Travis. Let's call my company Alan. No, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. No, you're right. I'm wrong. You're right. Thanks for diving on that one, Jeff. The timing was impeccable. I fucked it up. Right. First, I greatly appreciate what you gents do for the community. I'm new to knife making, um, and you guys have accelerated the learning curve for me immensely. Uh, Secondly, I'm always looking to minimize hand sanding, and it's the bane of my existence. I've stumbled across an ultrasonic polishing unit, and I'm wondering if the juice is worth a squeeze on my wallet. I'm specifically looking at the UM1200 by Guesswine. Um, however, I'd love to hear if you had any experience with something like this. 
Um, so no ultrasonic polishing units to avoid hand sanding. Never heard of such a thing. Have you guys heard of them, used them, or anything like that at all? I think that was Jeff's co- a nickname in college, wasn't it? What The, the ultrasonic polishing <laughs> unit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you got two dicks, no motivation. You, gotta use, you, need all, you need all the tricks and help you can get, you know? Ooh, that's right. I've just Googled it, and it looks like, well, it looks like a Dremel. Sadly, um, I was <laughs> can you imagine? To... It's oh just a Dremel. God. It's can a fifteen hundred dollar Dremel. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, you're just like, I have this great idea for this new tool, and then it turns out to be your the fucking most hated tool on the universe. <laughs> I'm gonna finish this. I'm gonna fix this whole knife up with the Dremel. Oh God. I was expecting oh, some sort of tank, and it'd be like some sort of chemical and ultrasonic. I don't know. Yeah. But looking at it, it, it just looks like a Dremel to me. Oh, so God. Like, so don't buy a $1,500 Dremel, please. <laughs> Jeez. Can you just imagine? Can you imagine? I, I, speaking of Dremel, nobody, nobody beats the brakes off Dremel like Jimmy DiResta. I don't know if you ever really see yeah. some of his, his late-night stories. <laughs> about how much he hates Dremel and he tags them and he says the most horrendous <laughs> things you've ever heard. It's hilarious. He'll say, look, he'll open a drawer and say, look at this drawer full of this garbage company. I've been using this garbage company. They changed the, the batteries don't fit. Nothing has worked. This is, he will tear this fucking company up because and the biggest problem is i'm stuck with them because all these companies you can't get anything that you need this is the closest thing you need and i'm stuck with this garbage company it's hilarious like once every six months he will beat the brakes off of dremel on uh, his stories i always fucking get such a laugh out of it brilliant so brilliant. i'm looking at it too and um it, while the handle does look like a uh, like a rotary tool um, if you look at the tools, uh, the little shaft, they're like flat. And so they're I flat, think yes, it, goes, yeah, blade, yeah. it does the back and forth rather than rotating around. Um, but God damn, that's $1,600. That's a hell of a price point to pay for. I don't know. I don't know if that's the move. <sighs> Hand sanding sucks, but it's it like, suck. there's no, there's the problem is, is like, we're all trying to reinvent the wheel on how to make it easier. And people are, putting it on a you know jigsaws and they're trying to you know come up with you know getting some of these like dildo machines and fuck machines they're trying to do all sorts of, you know what I'm talking about they're all these fucking strokers that are trying to figure this thing out and it's always like bro don't go to the fucking sex store to get your fucking satin finish squared away it's just you gotta figure something else out besides all this you know humping yeah, <laughs> but I was honestly imagine some sort of tank with a liquid in and uh, something happening. But no, it's it's nothing like that. Yeah, as as uh, Morocco said, they they yeah looks very much like a Dremel, but they they're like flat, almost like chisel like blades. I'd imagine you use those flat faces on your blade to. to but I think you could easily fuck up as well. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I can't see how that would work so well to be honest with you i'm sure it's also a j-hook machine you know that's the thing mm, about all yeah, these yeah, yeah. hand sanding fuck machines <laughs> they're all like it's really they're really they're really just they're really just a j-hook machine <laughs> because there's no finishing things all you're doing is fucking j-hook by your goddamn an inch by your goddamn plunge line uh, i think you got a new title there craig 
I, 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 was, I was contemplating, but I, I, I quite like that. I quite like the two dicks with no motivation. I like the two dicks with no motivation too. Yeah, you can't change. I mean, you can't change it to, to, to the you know the fuck machine is the J hook machine. You can't do that. That's over. That's out of control. With that, shall we call it a day? Yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Thank you all uh, for listening, and uh, we shall speak to you again uh, next week. Bye for now. I was uh, I was watching um, Curb Your Enthusiasm is unbelievable. This is the last season, and one of the great characters, who this actor Richard Lewis, who's on Curb Your Enthusiasm all the time, just died. It's it's terrible. Awesome, funny actor. The funny thing is, is Curb Your Enthusiasm will have a very serious topic, and then they'll immediately go into testicle humor like gross <laughs> testicle humor and i i was saying to my wife i was just like this is the funny part about this you're having these real life things and all of this i said this is just like knife talk we'll talk about really serious stuff and then we'll just completely like nosedive into something yeah. absurd absurd <laughs> i love it it's all good it's all good right okay what, what are your plan for the week you two anything special no <laughs> i I'm trying to, we're trying to like catch up on sleep. I, hmm. I got one more Knicks game to go to next week and I think I'm going to cut it. I think that's it because unless they go to the playoffs and I get free tickets, I, I it's just, I don't get any sleep the next day. I get home by midnight and I'm up the next morning before 30 and I'm just like a kind of a wreck. But, uh, I got a Knicks game on Tuesday and then, uh, that's the only thing we got going on. And, and I got, uh, at the Center for Mental Arts as well, I, I have classes available for the Friction Folder class. They're still in April. We still have some slots available. So if you go to uh, centerformentalarts.org, get involved with that Friction Folder, make yourself, a, make yourself a pocket knife, and we'll tell some jokes. There we go. There we go. Well, I suppose that's it then. Thank what, you all wait, for listening. Wait a second. Whoa, 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 what, what about you? Yes, yes, yes. You got to. You got to. You got to. Have you eaten anything wild now you're in the UK? Or <sighs> not really. We're in this. I say it's like a family sort of holiday resort thing, um, and it's all kid focused. So nothing, nothing, nothing good's going on here at all, really, because the food. Um, although there's there's like a little like a really traditional pub on site, and. Um, they had a guy playing the guitar there last night, taking requests from like four-year-olds and three-year-olds. So he's doing like Disney songs and playing up and so on. And like before we knew it, it was like nine p.m. and we're still out with the three kids. Like oh my god! We'd had a few drinks and there's just kids everywhere. It was manic oh. in there. And we're like, geez, maybe this is the future. We get to go out and have a few drinks. The kids are entertained. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's I say it's one of those very sort of family orientated resorts so yeah we leave here tomorrow morning early drive straight to london um we've got a hotel there where i go out to the gig and then saturday morning we do the drive back to france <laughs> so, wow uh, oh yeah it's gonna be a busy week yeah well a busy few days rather yeah. well let's get you back get you to sleep because this is good good luck with the show thank you very much yeah wow, right drugs. thank you all for did you say no drugs <laughs> yeah yeah, no At drugs. At my age, no drugs. Me, it's not happening. No he's got the you know baby Bjorn. He got his kids on his you know he's got the kids on his back and all these yeah. The tumbler, the tumbler, that's your thing in the pool hole. Uh, right, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? 
Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.